Um, we're going to look again at what we should be looking at in our time and culture as to how the church should behave. We've looked so far, I'll give you the, the lead up, at how we should be led and fed, how we should worship, how we should pray, how we should evangelise and stay united, and how we should give and provide hospitality. So we're going to move on tonight. Last time we saw that giving and hospitality were part of service. Today we'll continue this further and consider service in a broader context. You've got the sheet that's been passed around that I sent around earlier, and it's not for necessarily any homework or anything. It's just a guide for you to follow through and for one of the members to tick things off as we go so that she knows it's all been covered. Anyway, first point then. Second on your list, I guess. What do we think when somebody mentions service? Doesn't sound nice in a way, does it? You could be thinking of getting your food served to you in a restaurant, if you're able to go out and eat in restaurants, or McDonald's over the counter. Or for me, it takes me back to a programme on TV 50 years ago. No, where? Are you being served? No, not are you being served. Come on then. Upstairs, downstairs, you can tell who the older ones are. Or for the more modern of you, to Downton Abbey. In in these two cases, we're referring to a bunch of people who lived downstairs in a big house and provided service to the aristocracy who lived upstairs. We might think that this is ancient history. For some of you, maybe it is. But my nan was born in 1888. And she was in service back in her day, in the start of the 1900s. For those servants, they were virtually at the beck and call of their masters and mistresses virtually every hour of the day. If you remember your history from school, what's school been like saying, well, it's been okay, you know. uh, You will have noticed that things changed gradually around the time of the First World War and fewer and fewer people are in service. In fact, if you're a fan of Downton, you will have noticed that they took you through that period and after the war, service became far, far less likely. But before we go into the detail, as we have the last few times, let's look at some quotes on service, maybe not quite the things you'd expect. So a lot of these are Billy Graham and a lot are Spurgeon. So first, Spurgeon. I believe that many professing Christians are cold and uncomfortable because they're doing nothing for their Lord. But if they actively served him, their blood would begin to circulate spiritually and it would be well with them. Billy Graham, the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. The greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and helpless man who I used to listen to a lot until he got very involved in prophecy, David Jeremiah. Every time we deny ourselves in order to serve someone else, we grow in Christ. Back to Mr Spurgeon. No man ever served God by doing things tomorrow. Manana. And again Spurgeon. He who does not serve God where he is would not serve God anywhere else. Billy Graham again. Becoming a Christian is the work of a moment. Being a Christian is the work of a lifetime. Suitable for all those who are going through baptismal classes. And then Charles Spurgeon again. 
You are as much serving God in looking after your own children and training them up in God's fear and minding the house and making your household a church for God as you would be if you'd been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. Spurgeon again, one of the greatest rewards that we ever receive for serving God is the permission to do still more for him. And then Adrian Rogers, who, one of yours? No, used to be on the radio. I know some used to listen to him. Prayer is not just getting ready for Christian service. Prayer is Christian service. And the final one comes from John MacArthur. All Christians are but God's stewards. Everything we have is on loan from the Lord, entrusted to us for a while to use in serving him. So as Christians, we're called to serve. But unlike those downstairs at Downton Abbey, our master and our motivations will be very different as we serve the living God. So, point on your sheet. Who do we serve? In the Tony Merida book that I passed around a year ago, two years ago, uh, he states, followers of Christ are not spectators in the church, but are servants in the church. As a Christian, you shouldn't think of the church as the place where I go to listen to sermons, but the place where I serve. So who do we serve first? God. So there's three. God, church, the world. God first. So the next question is, who do we serve? Right back in Genesis, when we were created in God's image, we were created to serve him. This was to be very different to the service in Downton, as we've said. We were to serve him gladly, and as a result, God would be glorified. He didn't sit aloft from Adam and Eve, but he walked with them in the garden. I always think that must have been wonderful, mustn't it? Mm -hmm. However, we know the story, and although this sounds idyllic, sin changed the picture. And as Paul says in Romans 1.25, mankind exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. This is still true in our own generation, possibly more so. Steve Robinson, an author, says, as generations came and went, only one thing remained the same, the determination of humans to put themselves first and expect the world to revolve around them. Isn't it true we've got a generation that knows all of their uh, desires, none of their responsibilities. Yeah? As we listen to Paul speaking, uh, must have been pre-Christmas I guess, uh, he talked of the fruits of the Spirit. It struck me that this world exhibits exactly the opposite traits as the fruits of the Spirit. So in Galatians 5, 22 and 3 we read of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. In this world, we often see hatred, misery, war, impatience, meanness, evil, faithlessness, aggression, and indiscipline. There's a big, big contrast, isn't there? Throughout the Old Testament, God showed kindness to the Israelites and often saved them from pe peril so that he could serve them. We've been listening to David on the way they were, and I just go back to Sunday school. Our graph was one that looked like this. The Israelites hated God. They were 
put down, they were made to, or they were t sent away sometimes, then they turned back and then they fell away again and it's like a serpent. We only had about two pictures in Sunday school. One was this and the other was the look from Galilee down to the Red Sea. Anyway, as we come to the New Testament, we see the ultimate act of kindness and salvation as God gives up his son to die on Calvary and to be resurrected. He did this that those who trust in him might be saved, fought for, to worship and serve him. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul reminds us why we've been saved. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we've been saved to do the works and therefore serve him, and as a result, he gets all the glory. So we've served God, now service for the church. If you think back, I'm not going to ask, our last study we concluded with Jürgen Klopp, and he said that this Liverpool team employees should all serve one another. I'm sure it probably still doesn't happen, but anyway. The same is to be true of the church. We do not have a couple of stars who the rest of the congregation serve. We learn to serve with and for each other. Peter writes of how precious we are to God and how precious we should be to each other. In 1 Peter 2.9 he writes, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Peter's only reflecting what his saviour had taught him after he'd washed the disciples' feet. He taught them to love one another, just as I've loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Where's it from? John 13. I've learnt a lot about going into hospital about John, because that's our favourite reading passage. <laughs> by implication, we love one another by serving each other. Also note that the world outside will recognise us as disciples of Christ by the way that we love and serve each other. It just makes you wonder what the outside world does see, doesn't it? And how responsible we are if they come in and they're treated badly. I was asking someone the other day about not being able to um, talk to utility companies or banks about your husband and wife's accounts because you don't have the requisite authority. Imagine the response if you wander into one of these places and you say, I can talk for them because they're my brother or sister in Christ. I think they would probably fall over. I'm not sure what they'd think. But we've served God, we serve the church, and we serve the world. As we saw in the previous section, we serve God and we serve one another, and it has an impact on the world. Again, Steve Robertson puts it this way, our service to God and each other flows out in compassion and mercy to serve a world that needs to hear and to know the glory of the God who has saved us. This sentiment's expressed in the Bible in Peter, chapter 2, verse 12 having your conduct honourable amongst the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good deeds which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. Just as elsewhere we are called to be salt and light, so through our good deeds and sharing of the gospel, the world is blessed. 
even if it doesn't recognise it or maybe even ridicules us because of our behaviour. Warren Wiersbe's in my study Bible and he notes that we need to get the order right. We serve God first, out of that flows service for Christian brothers and sisters and then the world at large. In fact, he even takes it a step further when he says, Jesus Christ is the source and centre of our unity. If we centre our attention and affection on him, he will walk and we will walk and work together. If we focus on ourselves, we will only cause division. It's a bit of a harsh thing, isn't it? But it's true, we've seen it before. So why do we serve? Well, who do you look for in role models of service? For Rosemary and I, it would probably have been Eddie and Sheila, who some of you know, some of you don't. And they were our Sunday school leaders, they were our youth club leaders, and we really looked up to them. But on a broad, broader scale, maybe it's Queen Elizabeth II. She served her country and the Commonwealth faithfully for 70 years. When some questioned in the latter years whether she would abdicate, she served right to the end because she saw her role as an anointing by God and for life. She found herself in a privileged position that she had not earned or deserved, but she served God and her people because she'd made a promise to God when she was anointed queen. In the same way, we've not earned or deserved our position as joint heirs with Christ. And I still find that amazing. But we serve because we made promises to God the Father and the Son when we were converted. In essence, we serve because we follow after our Master. In Mark 10:45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, and to give him his life as a ransom for many. We are disciples of Jesus. He came to serve, so we serve after his example. Paul reflects on the service of his master in Philippians 2, 3-7. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. When you reconsider those thoughts, I do think it just blows your mind, doesn't it? How is it that Christ could leave eternal glory to come to a place like this? It puts in perspective how minuscule the best of service is compared to his service for us. But we're humans with an effect of sin still in us. So even when we try to serve, do we not still think, didn't I do a good job there? Haven't I served better than that brother or sister? Our service should always be in the light of how Christ served and with a thought in mind that we owe everything to him. And I've been touched really in the last few weeks when most of the sermons have really focused around Christ, haven't they? So our service should always be in that light. Our problems come by comparing ourselves to others and not to Christ alone. That must be the way of true humility and service. We have to recognise there'll be times when we're exhausted 
and may need to pray, take a break from service. And we've got to be careful about that. We had that book, Burnout, didn't we, some couple of years back. But we have to recognise there will be times when uh, we may just feel ignored or undervalued. Steve Robinson again gives a wonderful practical summary. So when you're the only person picking up the bulletins from the floor after the Sunday service, you're the only one stacking chairs when everyone else has left, you're driving home and you've preached your heart out and no one has thanked you, when the young people start to say they're bored with your youth meetings, when you've spent hours making a meal for people at church and no one turns up, or you're just tired of serving and giving, you ask the question, why am I doing this? Remember Romans 12 verse 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The why behind your service is God's mercy and Jesus who in love for you gave everything up. Then how do you serve? Serve as you are. We've all had school reports, maybe some of you haven't, I have, could do better. And sometimes approach service in church with apprehension, I couldn't possibly do that. We look at others in the membership and think, they're better than me at that. If the interregnum has taught us anything, it is that we have a variety of different gifts in this church and no doubt in other churches mm -hmm. and that because we can't do what Mrs A or Mr B can do we may be able to do something totally different or may be able to support someone who has that particular gift we're not determined by our school grades those at school thank you very much or our university excellence or our work experience but by what God would have us do for the benefit of the church body and for his glory. Personally, I would love to play the guitar. I told you you'd get a reference. Or a piano. But that does not stop me admiring those that God has given that particular gift to. I just wonder why I didn't get it. We only have to look at Psalm 139 to recognise that gifting comes from God and he will identify the gift to us and to others to identify your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. We believe in sovereignty, we believe in a plan of God, we've got to accept that he knows our service for him. It may seem that the younger members have all the energy, I've noticed that at Kick Club, um, and they can serve God in that way. Don't forget though that with age comes some experience and the possibility you can share your life experience with those starting out in the Christian life. And if you're young, learn from those that are older. And if you're old, admire the youngsters with all the energy and the strength. It's said of a member in one church that he couldn't wait to be 80. I don't know quite who that applies to here. When asked why, he said, because Moses did all his best work for God when he was 80. D.L. Moody is quoted as saying, Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning to be something. He then was 40 years in the wilderness learning to be nothing, so that he could spend 40 years then providing God, proving God to be everything. So irrespective of age, background, ability, God can use you in his service, but we have to be willing to serve.
I think it's six on my list. I don't know how the ticking is going. Serve with the gifts given. We all may wish we had different gifts, but we have to be content with the gifts that God has given us. Some years ago, there was a poll about the most important people of the century. I won't ask you because we get all sorts of answers, but the winner was Albert Einstein. At the turn of this century, and the BBC had a poll to determine the 100 greatest Britons. Winston Churchill won it. Prior to the 2022 World Cup, the debate was about who was the greatest footballer of all time. Go on, guess. No, no. They came down to the choice between Messi and Ronaldo. Messi lifted the trophy and therefore would be described as the GOAT, which is the greatest of all time. So Churchill and Einstein were men of very different talents. Messi and Ronaldo, both great talents, but both of them needed a team around them that allowed them to show off their talents. We don't have this problem at Charlton. We don't have the superstars or the backup. Two verses from the Bible guide us with regard to gifts. So in Romans 12, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the manifestation of the spirits given to each one is for the profit of all. No point having gifts if others don't profit from them. So how do we summarise it? Steve Robinson puts it this way, serving the church is not an individual effort, it is a team game. And secondly, in spite of what we may think, we all have gifts from God. I've often had people in the past say, I haven't got any gifts, and I don't believe it. You may have different gifts, you may have supportive gifts, but you've got gifts. All gifts are different and allocated by God. We should not desire the gift given to another person. And then fourthly, as in any team, we do not want a team of superstars. We want a team that works together and makes the most of the gifts of all. Seven, serve where you are. Now that may be geographical, it may not. As you would expect, we've got to have an Alistair Begg quote. Uh, when asked by an interviewer why he had stayed so long in one church, Al Alistair quotes his friend, Eric Alexander, I think Jonathan bumped into once, comes from Scotland. He says, there is no ideal place to serve God except the place where he, God, has set you down. There are too many Christians in the Christian church who think that the grass is always greener somewhere else. Likewise, there are too many who stand on the sidelines and pick holes in the functioning of the church but are not prepared to commit themselves to a working local church. Again, there are too many who are spiritual gypsies moving from place to place and sampling what they perceive to be the best of all the churches. Some are always looking to go back to the good old days. Well, Ecclesiastes has something to say about that. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10, we read, Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Some are always looking forward to the next big thing. But what God wants from us is faithful service today in the place where he has put us for the present. And then rewards for service finally. 
when I was talking to the candidates in the baptismal class, I deliberately pointed out that the church, not just this one, but anyone, is not perfect, and that church life is often not a bed of roses. I mean, if you're gonna put them off, put them off at the start. Yeah? Um, it's better to face up to these facts. We are imperfect Christians, still with the potential for sin within us. However, although church life may sometimes be tough, and sometimes we wonder when we will see growth, conversion, stability, God's not, God promises rewards to those who serve faithfully and consistently in the church. I've just got one quote to finish with from a man I don't know, but the quote I like, and it's, it's a long one, it's a story really. It's from a guy called John Ankenberg. He reads like this. When I was about eight years old, there was a neighbour of ours who used to work downtown in the city of Chicago. After work on Monday, he would drive home through the rush hour traffic, which would take him about 45 minutes. Then he would sit down, quickly eat his dinner. After that, his son and I would jump into his old black DeSoto, I presume it's a car, and he would drive another 30 or 40 minutes down to our church, where his son and I would race off to participate in boys club. As an eight-year-old kid, I loved that night. We had sporting activities, games, food, and we were taught Bible verses. I didn't particularly want to remember and memorize the Bible verses as a kid, but if the prize was good enough, I'd do it. I could remember that list of verses in a heartbeat. It wasn't a very spiritual reason for doing it, but it's amazing how many of those verses I have never forgotten in my life. The man who brought us to the boys club would sit on the side and just watch. He wasn't even a leader. He just faithfully brought us every week. After the boys club was over, we'd get back in the car and he would take us to a little restaurant where they had the best malted chocolate milk I've ever tasted. I mean, is that hot chocolate? Uh, no, all right. We would sit there drinking those malted milks, laughing, and life just couldn't have been better. Later on, both his son and I went to seminary and then into the ministry. One night, years later, this man said to me, you know, I don't feel like I've ever amounted to much. And I told him, you know, you faithfully took us to boys club every week. We were young, energetic, eight-year-old boys who grew up in a city it didn't look like we would ever amount to much. But because you took us to club, we learnt those Bible verses. God called us into ministry. God has used us to help a whole load of other people. I believe God is going to reward Christians just like this man who served faithfully behind the scenes. And as Billy Graham used to say, he wanted to hear on that final day, the Lord Jesus say to him, well done our good and faithful servant. Do we want to hear that too? You've got the summary, I'm not going to repeat them.